And now, get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, garden columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at Twitter.com slash FarmerFredDailyGardenTips. Lots of snark. The Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Where there's an old picture of me and Debbie Flower. <laughs> yeah, and we've gotten older since then. <laughs> uh, it's a nice picture. Wiser. You know, the best plant people are old people because it takes time to learn. You never learn at all. No. And so the older you are, the more you know. Okay. I should say the most knowledgeable. Best is not a good term. Now you're picking at another scab of mine. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Which is... TV gardening, like on HGTV and DIY Network, yeah. who have all these youngsters rebuilding homes and redoing landscapes and all that because they refuse to have as host of programs anybody that's older than their target demographic, which is 21 to 35. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I remember being told point blank by producers there, no, we don't have any hosts anymore who are older than our tar- target demographic. Woo. So it's like... I participated right. in... in that a tiny, tiny bit when I was in that demographic. Yeah. Oh, and yes. I was disgusted by it because yeah. they they don't know what they're doing. Well, I can't blame you. <laughs> it's like, okay, whatever. Yeah. All right. Let's get off that. Let's talk, okay. about, let's talk about something else. Let's Debbie, be nice. Debbie Flower is here. I'm here. Retired college horticultural professor, horticultural consultant. Maybe one of these days you'll speak somewhere maybe we'll get her around maybe we'll get you out nobody asks oh that's okay i'll ask the um what else uh we'll get you uh on the show as much as possible that's for sure i enjoy this good yes. thank you yes because i i bring you uh you bring me <laughs> the, stuff i bring you dead and i always flowers. learn stuff you always learn stuff even, exactly you know you list you never all know those, it all you never know it all no even you know, the, I was just saying I didn't like participating in the TV things. Sometimes you learn stuff because other people do it wrong. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you learn stuff like going to the Hunter Irrigation talk in Folsom right. on Wednesday because they know their things so well and you you get to know that thing better. It, to learn more, you really need to get out, go to the go to the Native Plant Society meetings or the Perennial Plant Club meetings or the master gardener get togethers or the rose society and all the clubs that meet right. at the shepherd garden and art center yeah and or you, you hang out with people who who do this stuff yeah you learn yeah. more by the way that wednesday talk in folsom is put on by the city of folsom and it, don smith who's their water conservation coordinator is doing a talk from six thirty to eight thirty about uh treating your lawn right basically mm-hmm. everything you need to know about irrigating a lawn and taking care of it so that it thrives mm-hmm. and we were talking in the last show about mowing tall because Mm -hmm. you you can manipulate your lawn to survive drought one way is you mow it tall Mm -hmm. like the three inch setting we should plan it depends on the variety of yes it does yes it does if it's bermuda grass you really don't want three inch tall turkey legs (laughs) that are (laughs) going to spread pretty ugly and itchy yes like walking through it uh and um applying the other thing i did when my lawn was much younger i haven't done it lately is um in this in the spring about mid-march uh apply a, a layer of very fine mulch i use mostly composted uh, uh manure chicken or or steer um 
adding organic because adding organic matter to the soil helps the soil absorb moisture. Now the roots of the grass will do that. The blades that you cut off if you don't bag it, uh, which is also a good practice to not bag it, let those blades fall to the ground, um, will decompose, uh, put nitrogen back into the soil, which the grass needs to be green, and um, uh, break down and be in the soil and hold moisture. The thing that holds moisture in your soil is organic matter. And so if you can get it into your soil, if you can get it on the surface, the earthworms will pull it down in. Um, and so then that will help your, uh, make your grass easier to care for in the summertime. We have more tips like that, too. Stay tuned. Also a garden grappler a little bit later on. And uh, we do answer garden questions here when mm-hmm. you phone them in to 916-576-1578 or toll-free 866-331-8255. Email. Send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Terry's back. Hi, Terry. He's running the board. You'll be moving like crazy when it comes to the Garden Grappler at 11 o'clock. You really work your engineers. I, I do. I, I I drive a hard bargain here. Um, email. Jan writes in and says, love the nerd talk on photosynthesis. <laughs> Always learn something new. If you weren't with us over on the KFPK Garden Show, we wrapped up the show. I should say Debbie Flower wrapped up the show. Yeah, not in a good way. Not in a- Explaining photosynthesis <laughs> in relation to something else. And then took this- Drought tolerance. In- drought tolerance. And then took this interesting scenic bypass into the various forms of photosynthesis. Right. Like what I always thought were firework explosives, <laughs> C3, C4, and CAM. Yeah. Right? You got it. You got it, Fred. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know what I got, but yeah. Yeah. Plants are more complicated than I, we realize, I think. And, and they can uh, collect their carbon dioxide, which they need to make food, in a variety of, of uh, ways. They Well, they have to enters the plant in the same way but how they hang on to it and when they use it to make food varies based on their type of photosynthesis which varies by the uh, type of environment that they're adapted to live in thank you (laughs) i'll stop there (laughs) okay i i heard something very interesting and i just bet it's true that we know more about what's in outer space Mm -hmm. than we know than what's beneath our feet that there are so many mysteries about the soil, and we're discovering so much about the soil and how it works and how it interacts and how it helps plants to thrive that we haven't learned yet. Yeah, we should do some more. We should catch up because in addition to knowing that, hopefully we'll learn what our practices do to that environment. Uh well, everything we know is wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I can tell you well, that. I'm thinking <laughs> of paving or compaction or irrigation schedules or chemical applications or mulch applications. Even what what do all those things? If we we don't really know what we're doing, if we don't know the soil we're putting it on. So explain this to me, since you brought that up. How the heck do city trees survive? In a planting area that it might be four feet by four feet, when you got houses on one side and a sidewalk and a street on the other, where are the roots going? Um, I actually worked on a project when I was in college on uh, planting uh, closed landfills. So a landfill yeah. is a garbage dump, and then at some point it's closed, and they cap it with a clay. Uh, that was what was used then. I haven't kept up with it. And then they put... Uh, 
a, a depth of soil on top. And that was the issue. And was then that, they build homes on top of that. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Uh, they had to figure out how to pump the methane out of the yeah. landfill. Um, and the issue was that you, that you have very little soil. Um, and so it's plants in a on the landfill are similar to city trees. What we figured out was that the trees that did best on the landfill were also did best as city trees, and they were the ones that can take uh, swampy conditions and dry out. So they can take extremes in their soil environment. And um, that, so the, the roots tend to be, it's like a, a, a they're in a container. Yeah. And it, so it's like a, 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 a contain, containerized plant. If you have, a, you have your citrus, let's say, in a pot, uh, eventually those roots get really bundled up mm-hmm. and, and it gets root bound and, and maybe you can knock it out of the pot, cut the roots, replant it. Uh, in that case, it's time for a new street tree. Uh, so they do decline. It does limit yeah. their life. Uh, they just live. They've uh, Arborists and I <clears throat> haven't kept up with the latest on this either, but uh, have, had created what's called structural soil. So it's soil that won't compact as much. It has more rocky stuff in it okay. so that there are more air spaces and spaces for roots and, and for nutri- nutrients to, to go. Um, but the plants that are chosen need to be able to handle um, being f- completely full of water, their soil being full of water, as well as being completely dry. So species is important. We're I, tough on those trees. Yeah, I know. And, uh, the bigger the container, the better growth you're going to get out of the plant but i'm thinking of those tall trees in sacramento like platinus or the yeah you got your elms and your, your sycamores elms, yeah. and, but you got this street and it's not just a few inches of asphalt they've dug down several feet to put in gas lines and water lines and it's compacted soil mm-hmm. and so those roots have to somehow work their way through that if at all right right and roots usually they don't proliferate where conditions are good for roots to grow, so they need oxygen and water. And so if there's a pocket that the roots have gotten into, they'll grow lots of roots mm-hmm. there, and and then that gives them the energy to poke their way into the next place. So that's why they end up in, uh, well, cracking sidewalks, cracking asphalt. The mm-hmm. plant people will tell you that the sidewalk or the asphalt was cracked first, and the root just took advantage of it. Um, uh, getting into drain lines, getting into sewer pipes, uh, anything with a crack that's allowing oxygen and water in, that's where the roots will end up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, you know, in the sidewalk, tree roots don't go real deep, but they, if there's oxygen and water, they'll go there, wherever that is, however deep that is. If they f- get there, then they'll grow there. Those are the things that are needed. So they're very opportunistic. Trees are amazing. They are amazing, yeah. yeah. To get to the height they get and to thrive for as long as they do under very adverse conditions. Yes. Let's hear it for the trees. Yay! We'll take a break. When we come back, oh, people are calling with garden questions. We'll make up answers. Nine, (laughs) what's the numbers here? 576-1578 in the 916 area code or 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE.
You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with horticultural consultant Debbie Flower, we're answering your gardening questions. Let's go to John in Turlock, who has been on hold for quite a while. Hi, John. Hi, Fred. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Thanks for hanging in there. Great. Hey, I have a, a couple just quick comments. Double delight nectarine. That's that's now my favorite fruit. I just uh, they just got ripe uh, in the garden, and it's just just great. So congratulations. Yeah, <laughs> sweet, right? It's, really sweet. What's that? It's really sweet. Oh yeah, it's just it's 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 as good as my best pluot. So I mean right. that's how good they oh, are. Oh wow. So anyhow, that that's just a. Uh, a quick uh, comment for anybody who wants a good uh, nectarine or something like that. Just beautiful, absolutely wonderful. And we should point and out you're not growing it commercially. What's that? You're not growing it commercially. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, no, no. <laughs> no and uh, but like I say, picking fruit ripe off the trees, there, there's oh, nothing like there's it. There's nothing like it yet. And no, just nothing. We are uh, continuing our tests at the local Folsom Farmers Market to see when the pluots are really ripe. And as of last Saturday, they're still like a week or two away. They still get a little bit too tart, more tart than they should be. So um, uh, we'll we'll keep waiting. So let me tell everybody about the Double Delight Nectarine. It's uh, grown by Dave Wilson Nursery, and uh, it's a yellow nectarine. And they say it's the best flavored yellow nectarine, uh, plus magnificent double pink flowers in late winter, early spring. It's a freestone fruit, sweet with unusually rich flavor. Very high scoring in taste tests. So let me look up their taste test and see where the uh, Double Delight. Double Delight's in the top ten, along with Flavor Top, Liz Late, August Glow, Harco Fantasia, and June Glow. So, yeah, that's a good one. Okay, that's right. great. Hey, and then since you were talking about lawns, and again, I'll, I'm going to get to my question real quick, but get a mulching lawnmower. I, yeah. you know, I, st- I bought one ten, 10 years ago. I have never fertilized my lawn. Yep. It, you're adding, you know, and it's a high setting, and you just and, and it just works beautifully. No, you never add fertilizer, never do anything. You never have to empty the, the lawn clippings or anything else like that. It goes right back in works beautifully mm-hmm. but john how about a word of warning about mulching mowers especially the uh rechargeable uh, mulching mowers and the lawn that's too tall if you go on vacation you come back to a lawn that's done a lot of growing you try to take a rechargeable mulching mower to it it's going yeah. to bog down yeah, yeah so you well, got it you got to hit more it often. with your string trimmer first or something yeah or do do it twice. In other words, that, you know, if I if you know if we got a rainy period or something where you can get you know in the springtime and it's raining and then the grass grows tall, can't you're going to have to do it twice. I mean, just you know, you just have to do it, let it dry out, go over it once, and then go over it another time, and then it, but it gets all that stuff. It eventually, you know, does it. You know, so but it's just it's nice. You never have to thatch. You never have to do any of that stuff. So anyhow, uh, getting to my my original original question was. Putting drip irrigation for lawns. Now, I'm going to redo my front lawn area and get rid of about 50% of my lawn and, you know, redesign and and all that kind of good stuff. And I was thinking, I've been reading about it, so just just your your opinions. Do you know anybody who's done it? I know it's it's certainly not very popular, but uh, tell me any comments you might have about doing that. I, I, I don't mind doing the work. I've I've, I can do anything when it comes to sprinklers or drip irrigations and stuff like that. I'm, I'm very good at that. 
There are two systems I know of and have seen examples of where they have used buried drip irrigation over a lawn or under a lawn. And one of them are, are the inline emitter variable pipes, uh, half-inch lines uh, made by Netafim that right. you can crisscross uh, in a lawn or beneath a lawn and then uh, put sod on top. And the, the, the warning there is uh, don't go digging around because you just might slice a line open. Mm-hmm. So you have to know where the lines are exactly before you decide to plant a tree or, or something else. So you got to be careful you don't cut a lawn. The other one that I've seen is called Ecomat, and that's from Hunter Industries. And it, is, it basically looks like a big white cotton sheet, a fluffy cotton sheet that you roll out and put beneath the surface where you're going to lay sod. And, and the same warning applies, is you can't go digging in it or you're going to uh, be cutting it up. If you want more information about the Ecomat, I know Hunter Industries is going to be out there at Harvest Day at uh, the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center on uh, Saturday, August 4th. And you can talk to them, and they'll probably have examples of Ecomat there for you to see about uh, subsurface irrigation. And I have seen the Ecomat in work. Uh, for those of you that live down in the Galt area, when you drive by the Walmart, that lawn area out there on Twin Cities Road in front of the Walmart, beneath that area was Ecomat. Now, what I'm not sure of is whether uh, it's still alive or not, because I had heard that they had problems with the landscaping crew forgetting that it was there and never bothered to turn it on. Oh, so that, I thought you were going to say they cut it open. Well, there, there was that problem, too, but uh, I don't know. So I don't know if that lawn is still there or not. But again, a lot of it can be due to operator error. And there has to be more working knowledge if you are going to use a subsurface drip irrigation system to avoid problems like that. I was aware of, of underground irrigation being used under sod uh, when I was teaching. It was a long time ago. We went to a, a baseball field uh, and, and toured the baseball field and talked to the, the maintenance manager, and, and they had subsurface irrigation. So that would have been before the Ecomat days. Uh, it it might have been Netafim. Mm-hmm. Um, and my question about all of this, um, and so I will have to go to Harvest Day and talk to the hunter guy, is why aren't the roots growing into the emitters? Now, I use the Netafim type, which is the inline tortuous path emitter that is spaced either at 6 inches or 12 inches inside the tube, and I lay it on the surface but I have had it there for, in my last house, it was 15 years or 17 years before I moved. Uh, this house, it's been about six years, uh, and I keep mulching and mulching and mulching. And so eventually this system does get buried, and roots do grow in that mulch layer. And I have not had a problem with roots growing into my uh, Netafim uh, emitter. So so I'm sort of asking my question and answering it at the same time, but I don't understand why why that does not happen. I don't understand. Because uh, from what I understand, I, I think it's in the Netafim system, but I'm not positive. There is a weed inhibitor chemical put in to the pipe that keeps, really? yeah, that keeps the weeds from penetrating. Now, I've heard of uh, copper being put into like landscape fabric or mm-hmm. in uh, to some uh, plastics and or, or fabrics that pots have been made out of of the fl- those flexible kind of pots right. uh, to prevent the roots from growing into them, and that, that's copper, but it wears off over time. And I notice that the 
the on the hunter site that the uh, eco mat and they have an eco wrap which right. you can put around the uh, netafim type emitter um tortuous path emitter that's embedded into the tubing mm-hmm. uh they have a five-year warranty and i wonder that made me wonder if they put an herbicide in there because that has yeah. been the problem with the landscape fabric in particular is that the the uh, uh, copper wears out or the pe- pesticide wears out, the herbicide wears out, and then the roots grow right into it, and then you've got a bigger problem than bef- if you never had the fabric there in the first place. So those would be questions I would contact Hunter. I think they'd probably welcome. I, I, I assume they have support. They have a homeowner. Oh, they do, yeah. yeah. If, you, if you visit their uh, website, uh, hunterindustries.com, uh, you can find out more information about their products, as with Netafim, too. Yes, and, and I would those are questions I would ask them. Now, Netafim, and both, both the Hunter and the Netafim products, I know Hunter is more available at uh, better nurseries like uh, Green Acres, but Netafim, for the most part, I think is available at your That's a commercial cr- application. Yeah, it's your, at your commercial landscapers, uh, your irrigation stores like Ewing. Uh, you can find a lot more products like that. You just have to know what you're looking for. And so that would be another technique would be to go to a Ewing uh, uh, or um, Normac, Normac yeah. Yeah. Uh, supplier. Would they'll only be open during the week because they are open to the they are industry. They'll talk to you. Uh, they are industry uh, focused and ask them who they're selling it to, and then contact them and and see what what questions they would have or what pluses and minuses they have. Yeah. Does that help at all, John? <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, it's fine. Okay. I just All wanted right. to hear your comments about it and everything else like that. I'm, I'm always willing to experiment and, and uh, you know, try and all that kind of good stuff. I don't, I don't mind. And uh, you know, it's just like, well, if it, it really doesn't work that good or something. But if it certainly seems like it would save a lot of water and, and yeah. runoff and and things like that. It just seems like, you know, like with any drip irrigation, it's you know, that's marvelous. Right. Uh, you know, system. And if it can get work for lawns, that would be great. And especially if it has a soil sensor built into it that can let you know when to turn the water on. It lets the timer know when to turn the water on. And that's the next big advance in uh, home irrigation is having these sprinkler controllers that have soil sensors, perhaps plural number of soil sensors, that let the timer know when the soil needs water. As it is now, it's calendar-based, that the, the smart timers that you have are usually have a computer in there that has this local uh, evapotranspiration rates uh, for every month of the year, and they automatically switch the watering times based on your average evapotranspiration rates. They've had systems, but uh, you have to bury them and check them, and they've been they've been used in industry, used in vineyards, uh, not a lot. Because they're cumbersome. So, yeah, that, that would be a great improvement. Yeah. There you go, John. All right. Thanks. All right. Thanks for calling. We'll take right. a short break. More of Get Growing on the Way on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Debbie Flower, who will be judging the Garden Grappler at 11 o'clock. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Somewhere in the paragraph beneath that old picture of me (laughs) and Debbie. We're just a couple of old heirloom gardeners. Yep. 
I guess. The best. Oh, that's it. All right. Speaking of old heirloom gardeners, Charlie in Brooklyn, how hey, are you? Hey, what's there. up, guys? How you doing, Debbie? How you doing, Fred? I'm, I'm doing well, thank you. How's the weather in Brooklyn today? Oh, it's a lot cooler than last week, but it was okay. Yeah, oh, I, I was there like about, uh, not in Brooklyn, on Long Island, about 10 days ago, and just before the heat hit. Yeah, it was nice out here, but the heat. Yeah. So uh, what, how are the tomatoes doing? Oh, they're doing great. They're really growing good this year. All right. Now, back east in New York, have you gotten any full-size ripe tomatoes yet? Not full-size, but there's people. I walk around the garden. You can see they got nice-sized tomatoes. Okay. But I put mine in, like, the second or third week of May. Mm-hmm. So That's a little, yeah. That would be about right for back That'd there. That would be about right, yeah. yeah. I can remember nothing went yeah. in the garden until May yeah. when I lived back east. Okay. Yeah, but there's people, there's a guy that has like 100 tomato plants. They're Ooh. all stunted. Yeah. Oh, They're really? stunted? Yeah, and then he's the expert tomato grower. <laughs> oh, oh my. Yeah. One of those guys, yeah. On my some of my tomato plants, on the lower leaves, I don't have a lot of them, but they're yellow. I'm taking them off. What is that? Is it that yellow? spot. Is it on one side of the plant or on all around? Uh, I could actually walk over. Since okay. I'm in the garden. Since you're in the garden, okay. At, at the old airstrip. Yep, Floyd Bennett. Floyd Bennett. New York's first airport. Actually, it's maybe like a foot, and it's on both sides, it looks like. All right. If it was one side, I would start thinking verticillium, but... Or fusarium. Or fusarium, but when it's uh, all the way around on the lower leaves... Yeah. Do you see any... Now, are they... Describe the yellow. <laughs> it's it yellow the, with brown, like a black patch in it or brown okay and is it at the edge of the leaf or in the interior of the leaf uh it should, looks like it's on the edge let me walk back over there <laughs> yeah don't go away <laughs> all right here we go it's uh, uh it's actually in the middle and on the edge all right is it continuous or is it different splotches of yellow it, yeah it's like spot here a little bit nothing then it's a spot then it's another spot Okay, and these aren't perfect circles. They're kind of irregular blotches. Yeah, they're not round. They're like almost like football shirt shape a little bit. Yeah, and they're sort of yellow with a brown center. You said. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like late blight to me. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. If it was just totally yellow, it might be shaded out leaves. Um, but when you've got spots with a, a distinctive center, then then you have potential disease. So, All right, these are heirlooms, so that I kind of understand. Yeah, you're going to get more of that with an heirloom than with other kinds of... Uh, yeah, but I like tomatoes with taste. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I get it. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, and my friend Mike, his tomato plant, it's a black brandy wine, and the leaves are curled. And uh, Craig Coulter or whatever, I can't think of, he wrote the, the tomato book. Okay. He was on. He's on my Facebook page, and he said that that's common for that one kind of tomato plant. Each tomato plant kind of has their own thing. Yeah, well, especially like, if the potato leaf plants do that too. Yeah, and it curls up, and people. Oh, I said that's just the watering. You got to water it better, or something. Does that sound right? I would measure the moisture in the soil before I added water because it may not be. Could be the other extreme. Yeah, too dry? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. No, I, too wet. Oh, too wet. Okay. Yeah. Too wet, too wet, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, but he has a timer, and that's what we probably got to fix. Yeah, it might be watering too often. Yeah, we, we can right. be, we can confidently always say it's a watering problem because that's ninety percent of all plant problems. Yeah, True. and people actually cause it because they overwater. Right, it's the easiest way to kill. It is. I'm trying to remember that particular tomato malady, Debbie, where it's a different name of when the leaves curl up versus when they curl down. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like it looks spelled like psych, <laughs> like that. It starts out like that, yeah. and I can't, I, I can't think of the name of it. Yeah, me and, neither. Uh, they me neither. That it curls up. It'll occur to me about nine o'clock tonight. Of course. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Oh, so what was I sent you that email, Fred, with the tomato leaves on that uh, Italian sweet? They're so huge. I know the potato leaf. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're you know, potato leaves are huge on on those uh, certain varieties of tomatoes. Yeah. Yeah. Because no, everybody's coming by. It. Well, yeah. Also, my uh, green giants got them too, like that. Well, that that's okay. Okay. Tomato leaf curl virus. They can curl up. Okay. What about curling yeah. down? That's a watering issue. I think down is a watering issue. Okay. Yeah. The uh, chocolate. Tasmanian they gave me the seeds that's mm-hmm. about three feet now oh good all right yeah it's got a lot of buds on it all right no no fruit yet though no nah, not yet all right i'm one of those people that i actually do i'm looking at it now and you said fruit. they're cherries uh they aren't that big they're big oh really okay yeah all right good <laughs> they were like an uh, inch and a half oh well that's well that's a cherry that's a cherry yeah okay oh okay yeah all right because I'm thinking like, you know, a regular sized cherry tomato. Oh, well, really? <laughs> I looked, I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, okay, so maybe, is is it round or is it more oval shaped? Uh, it's more oval shaped, it kind of looks like, from where I was able to see it. Almost like flattened Okay, so a little looks, bit on the bottom. Yeah, sort of like a grape tomato, basically. All right, I can always send you pictures. Yeah, you can do that. All right, cool. Charlie, good. I appreciate it, guys. Th- thanks for the walk through your garden, I appreciate it. You got it. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. And that's our visit to Floyd Bennett Field in Brooklyn. Former airstrip with God knows how many contaminants buried beneath it. Woo. That is now a community garden. They doing raised beds and uh, yeah. imported soil? I I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, oh, you get you get email. Fan mail. Oh. Yeah. Uh she uh, Joanne writes in and says, My most favorite guest is Professor Debbie Flower. I was very fortunate to have taken plant ID at American River College with this knowledgeable, amazing, down-to-earth lady. Best teacher ever. Oh, thank you. Big hugs to Debbie. Thank you. From Joanne. I can use them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah. You got fans. And Baldo agrees with you uh, about the fornicating stink bugs on the tomato plant picture. That I, I just forwarded to him because he was upset that I hadn't forwarded the picture to him. Okay. All right. And uh, the debate was, is it a box elder bug or, as you said, a bordered plant bug? And he agreed with you. It is the bordered plant bug. And what makes it the bordered plant bug is that it has orange stripes all down its side and its butt and across its shoulders. Right on the, just a single border of orange stripe. Right. It was a single border. Whereas a box elder, I think it has crossing red. Yeah, it's different. Pattern, but they're like cousins. Exactly. Yeah, their management is similar. Uh, they have slightly different hosts. The the box elder bug can be a real nuisance when it when it starts when 
It finds its host, which is a box elder beetle. I can remember walking my baby in a stroller in Portland, Oregon, and they had used box elders, variegated box elders, no less, and a strip in the middle of the road. You know, sometimes like um, Curtis Park has this. It was a much smaller strip than that park down Curtis Park, but uh, just a strip in the middle of the road where there was some grass and some trees. And the I was on the sidewalk, so a, a lane, a car lane away from those trees, and there were just box elder bugs everywhere. It was awful. Uh, when they find their host, they they reproduce and have a big family reunion. It is just loaded with these very annoying bugs. Their favorite host, then the the box elder tree, the box elder Acer tree, Nagundo, and yes. they will go after anything else in the vicinity. Um, boy, I don't know that. I just know that they're annoying. Yeah, they are annoying. As all get out. I don't think they, if they go after stuff nearby, I don't think it's as damaging. Do you have other experience? Yes. uh, My neighbor has a box elder tree Uh that I'm trying to find some socially redeeming value of. Other than fall color, it seems to have very nice fall color. More like a bright red. Oh, really? Yeah. Bright red. Maybe it isn't a box elder, but it has broken branches in it. and uh, They tend to live near water. I wonder if there's a leak. They plant it on purpose, or don't you know? They're at the bottom of a hill. Oh, that might be the wet spot. Yeah, that might be the wet spot. And uh, But I have found these box elder bugs to want to come into my house in the wintertime. Oh, yeah. Around November or so, I see them crawling on the wall. Oh, boy. Like they want to get in. And stink bugs will do that. There yeah. was a case when I worked for Cooperative Extension where there was a development in Elk Grove, and the people were suing the <laughs> the builder because these Bugs were in, stink bugs were in their house and they can smell. Oh, yeah, yeah. And leave stains. Yeah. And it was just because they were next to an, a, a, a retired ag field that had their nice habitat. And then it gets cold. And so, yeah, they want to be warm too. So they're moving in. Um, they settled that problem. But yeah, it was a, uh, the, the true bugs will do that. Yeah, and that's we have heard that about the Bagrata bug too, that the Bagrata bug, which is a current. Uh, Hitchhiker in the Sacramento yeah, area. Yeah, a newer yeah. member like, of our pest population. Likes to find indoor uh, accommodations for the wintertime. Right. So that's the, the, the true bug family, as we were talking about over on uh, the KFPK Garden Show, includes uh, many of uh, our favorite summertime pests mm-hmm. that end in the word bug. Yes, and, and their management is basically hand control. They're not super fast, so you go out when they're out feeding on the plant, which tends to be the morning, and dump them in some soapy water. Yep, that'll do it. Watch them swim and drown. Yeah. All right, it's your entertainment on a Sunday morning. (laughs) We'll take a short break. More Get Growing on the Way on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Debbie Flower answering your gardening questions, Shirley and Chico writes in and says, I have a lawn. In truth, it's really just green weeds that I need to remove. The area is about 15 by 30, slightly off to the side of five mulberry trees that we want to protect as they provide us with vital shade during the summers here in Chico. The lawn area starts about two feet from the tree trunks, but there are mulberry roots showing in the lawn, so we want to be very careful. What's the safest way to remove the lawn? I would usually go to Roundup, but not so sure about that. 
as I've heard stories about what it can do to surrounding roots. So what are my options, asks Sir Shirley. So let's talk about the story she's heard about glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup, and about what it can do to surrounding roots. Uh, well, I don't know what story she's heard, but it's a, uh, it, it, it's a contact systemic. So you have to get it on the plant, and then the plant absorbs it and moves it to all part of, parts of the plant, and uh, then it kills those plant parts, which is what makes it so effective. But can it be absorbed by roots? So I'm it thinking can it, yeah. uh, if the, the roots are in active growth and expanding. Those roots that she's seeing above ground have bark on them, just like a tree trunk has bark on it. Roots do develop bark. Right. They are woody. Unless you mow it. <laughs> right, right, and keep nicking it. Yeah. And you'll have, uh, but if the plant is woody, the roots will be woody as well. And so if there's active growth, which is typically in the spring when there's been lots of water and the temperatures are just warming up and the plant is just going gangbusters to grow, that's when that, that root is expanding. And then there will be cracks in the bark all the way down to the vascular system, where, which is where uh, the plant would absorb the, the Roundup. At this time of year, that's not likely to be happening. The bark is do, providing a good uh, coverage, protection uh, to that plant. If you think it's going to get into the bark, the Roundup is going to get into the root through those exposed roots, then you also have to worry about it getting into the trunk, which it can do. Um, but that's typically in spring when the plant is absorbing lots of water and those parts of the plant are actively growing and expanding uh, creating very big cells and expansion is fast and the plant is unable to cover and protect uh, that that part of it uh, quickly enough. This time of year, we're, we don't see that. So I think she's pretty well protected from it. And in case you want to take an extra step of uh, protection, if you are going to use something like glyphosate, is you could use a spot applicator. Yes, my husband's in love with this sprayer he bought that has a cone on the end of the... Yeah. Um, I don't apply stuff, but he'll go around and do a little bit of, of Roundup on the fence line. Uh, and he loves that. It's, it looks like a funnel. Yeah, and it just keeps the spray from drifting into desirable plant territory. Right, right. Works great. Yeah. Works really good. So there is that option, surely. Now, one thing I would suggest this time of year would be soil solarization, but right. I'm worried about the health of the tree. Right. And, and not only the health of the tree, but the fact that this is a mulberry tree. It's in full leaf. It casts a lot of shade. Is it too much shade for soil solarization to happen if you've got clear plastic on the lawn area? Right. So the only part she could solarize is the part that's in full sun, which is likely right. not under the mulberry. However, there could be, um, I'm sure there are roots under it. Roots extend two and a half to three times away from the trunk as the tree is tall. So let's say the mulberry is 30 feet. 20 feet, That's, even if it's a tiny mulberry, it's 15 feet. Mm -hmm. Two and a half times is 40, almost 40, 40 feet yeah. in all directions. So I'm sure there are roots under the grass. And solarization basically heats up the soil uh, so high that it kills everything. And so, yes, you are going to... a depth of exactly eight to 12 inches. Oh, three to four. Three to four. I think it depends how moist the soil is because... It depends so on your prep. You're absolutely yeah. right. Soil solarization, for it to be effective, before you put that clear plastic down and you've cleared away all the uh, surface vegetation, is as much as you can. That's right. You strip the vegetation yeah. as if you were going to plant seeds there. Right. So you strip it, you till it, you get, get out all the rocks, all the, all the debris you can. Break it smooth. 
Break it smooth. And then water it. Water it, water it, water it till the water yep. gets at least 12 inches deep. Because it's the water that's going to absorb the heat. Yeah, that's an amazing thing is how well water translocates the heat to right. a, a depth of whatever. Right. And then the key is after you're, you've done solarizing it with that clear plastic for four to six weeks or so this time of year. And you've buried all the edges. Yep. You cannot have a hole in that plastic. You cannot have a hole at the edge of the plastic. You have to bury the edge. It has to be completely sealed. Exactly. And you may have to replace it, too, because a lot of times the, it breaks the, down. The, the most economical plastic to get is yes. clear plastic uh, paint rolls. Yes. And that's usually one or two mils thick. And that's fine for painting. But for soil solarization, the sun is going to break it down. Yeah, it doesn't last very long. Yeah. I've, we did it and we did it. Uh, we got about two weeks out of the first layer and then we went in and put a second yeah. layer on top of it. The, now, what what is the pros and cons of that second layer? Because now you've taken that, let's say, two mil plastic and made it four mil plastic. It reduces the amount of light that can get in there and therefore reduces the amount of heat. Okay. So it, it's the matter of light. Right. So thinner yeah. plastic is better. Uh, if you really want to do this and, and, you know, it's, and be really effective, you can find uh, at greenhouse supply places you can get uh, thin plastic that has been treated uh, so it won't break down. So yeah, quickly. UV treated. Right, but you're going to pay for it. Yeah, and from what I understand, too, they're like 1,000-foot rolls. Yeah. So, yeah, good luck with that. It's meant for agricultural right. uh, soil solarization. Go uh, in with your neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Now, what about this thing I've heard of? Okay, you put down a layer of clear plastic and then put some sort of uh, thing like bricks or some sort of riser at various points and put a second layer of plastic over that. I tried that, too. And what does that do? I didn't see any results. I didn't do a controlled experiment, but I didn't see any. We used uh, empty water bottles with the lids on. Um, On their side? Yeah, on their side. Okay. Um, I didn't see any difference. I did several beds, all the same shape, all in the same place. I didn't see any difference. Because supposedly that layer of air between the two helps translocate the heat? Right, but that sort of... I mean, we just said that we have to water the soil in order for the right. heat to be absorbed. So that yeah. air is not going to provide much at all. Okay, so it's just... It's more of an insulator than anything. I guess it, it's a protection against being torn by the wind. It's insurance yes. for the lower give some layer. give to that plastic. Yeah. This is another topic that would... Uh, I know that they're working on at the Fair Oaks Hort Center. Uh, and, and so uh, yeah. you could get some basics from them. But she so, so, yes, the roots in the top four to six to eight inches, depending on how deeply the soil is prepared, will be damaged um, by the solarization at the location that it's solarized, uh, and and that's something you have to accept. I did it around a cherry tree um, in my Rancho Cordova house, and I saw no effects, no negative effects on the cherry tree. That was also true with the UC test that they did around in an orchard, in a cherry orchard, and didn't find that many ill effects from uh, doing it outside the drip line of the tree. We have to take a break for news. When we come back, it's Garden Grappler time, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. Clue available at FarmerFred.com, as well as at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Garden Grappler on the way on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. 
Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Oh, let me get my big yellow legal pad out so I can legally write down your names. Make it legal. Make it legal. It's Garden Grappler time, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. If you are up on your tomato knowledge, Debbie Flower is here. She'll be judging the quality of your answers. And since you've got a couple of heirloom hosts here, it's only fair that we ask you an heirloom tomato question. Today's question, name an heirloom tomato variety that you've grown and tell us why you like it. Or conversely, maybe why you didn't like it. That's only fair. Name an heirloom tomato variety that you have grown and tell us why you like it or, or, or didn't like it. All five callers get a prize. Special bonus prize for caller five because, as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. The numbers to call in, 916-576-1578 or toll-free 866-331-8255. You ready in there, Terry? Terry's ready to jot down names, numbers. First of all, though, I guess we need to explain what an heirloom tomato is, Debbie. Yeah, we do. So, what is an heirloom tomato? <laughs> Good luck. There are uh, some varied definitions of what an heirloom tomato is. Probably the one that uh, the most practical part of the definition is that it's one that will breed true from seed. So that if you save a seed from that tomato, you will get the same tomato uh, fruit off the plant that you grow from that seed. So that means that they are, most tomatoes are uh, self-pollinating, although they get help, um, meaning self-pollinating, meaning um, that all the genetic material in the seed has come from the plant on which that that is growing. If it's grown in isolation. Yes, because bees and and other insects Mm. can bring pollen from other places. so if you're going to save the seeds, that, that's something you would want to pay attention to is, is to isolate the flowers. Um, so they do pollinate uh, by themselves. And the other part that varies is how old that cultivar is. A cultivar is a cultivated variety. It's something humans have chosen and, and uh, in the case of heirloom tomatoes, have passed the seeds down from generation to generation because they like that tomato a lot. So heirlooms tend to have good flavor uh, that's why people save them. And then they're given names. Um, and Don't so, mention any. Yeah. So, you, <laughs> so uh, sometimes they evoke a picture. It's mm-hmm. a kind of a colorful name. Um, and, and, you know, save them, and they brought them in the wagons. And so they can be saved from generation to generation. And then the other part that comes up in the definition is how long ago they were first created. And, and some... References will say as few as 50 years. Well, that's been in my lifetime, and that that's, doesn't sit well with me. That's not old enough. <laughs> um, others say uh, before 1940, which would be before World War II. And I like that uh, definition part for an heirloom tomato better because we did a lot of um, research during World War II on chemicals, on, on fertilizers, on a whole bunch of things. And we came up with some weird ways to manipulate plants. And so we ended up with some cultivars of tomatoes that I wouldn't put in the, in the, that alone, their age alone would not, uh, uh, to me, qualify them to be an heirloom if they were only 50 years old. I guess it depends upon which uh, definition you subscribe to. Right. Because a plant 
that's grown over and over and over again, if it started off as a hybrid, could become one that does reproduce from seed exactly. Right. You stabilized its genetic material. Sometimes it takes seven to ten years for that to happen. Right. So... What which definition are we going to use here? I think we're going to use the stable genes. Okay, all right. Because, frankly, I don't know when all of these cultivars came into existence, so I yeah. couldn't judge. Right. I mean that portion of it, and I think that's what that's effectively why people want them is because they can save the seeds, they can grow them next year, and they can still get that tomato that they love. Exactly, and then you can store them in your bomb shelter. There you go. <laughs> yes. Be prepared for Armageddon. There you go. All right. Uh, um, so anyway, the question again is name an heirloom tomato variety that you have grown and why you like it. Or, why or you, don't. Or, or don't like it. All right. So uh, actually, Richard in Mill Valley is calling with a different question, but if he wants to play our little game, he's more than welcome to. Hello, Richard. Good morning. Hi there. Yeah, I will uh, participate in the grappler. Uh, i Stupus does well for me. Okay. Okay. Or as the French would say, stupice. Okay. Or the oh, Czechs. Would they? Yes, they would. Either way, it does well. I'm in an area that uh, gets usually considerable fog, so it sort of limits what I grow, and that's outperformed Frisco fog. And the other one that does well for me is not an heirloom, would be Early Girl. I wonder if no, Early Girl hasn't stabilized yet, has it? I don't think so. I've had someone tell me they thought it was an heirloom, and I disagreed. Because they keep improving it. With That's via, true. You can get all kinds of early girls yes. now. All right. But the Stupice yes. is one of those. In fact, when I was growing uh, tomatoes in the greenhouse during the wintertime, Stupice was one of those because it's one of those early maturing varieties that's like 50 to 55 days. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uh, got a decent-sized fruit to it. It's not a cherry tomato. It's not obviously a beefsteak, but it's a good-sized tomato. Yeah, yeah, it's done well considering the conditions. Yeah, okay, Stupache, yeah. good answer. So we're going to be sending you, as all five callers will get. Uh, I was talking earlier on the KFPK Garden Show about proper ways to store fresh fruits and vegetables, whether on the counter or in the refrigerator, along with other tips about how to store them. So I'll be sending that information to you from right. UC Davis Post Harvest Technology Department, along with uh, the 10 most wanted good bugs. For your garden. Oh, super. oh, that's worth getting to know. Yeah, exactly. Okay, one, then I did have a reason I called was uh, zucchini. Uh, I have a few zucchini plants that I put in, and uh, they've started to set flowers, mm-hmm. and uh, everything looks good. The flowers are opening, and I'll come out in the morning, and something has come by and almost looks like snipped the flower off with scissors uh the flower this morning uh found one lying near the plant had not been chewed or you know like it hadn't appeared to have been in the mouth of a rodent or anything uh and the snipping or the the stem was lost right at the base of the uh the flower so that didn't seemed to me like it could have been a mouse even um was do you know of a bug that might be doing this i know of weather that might be doing that oh if you have cool cloudy weather and uh, if if the weather isn't conducive for that uh, flower to pollinate then it's going to uh, self-abort well it's been warm here for for this area anyway you know we were right below 90 probably mid 80s Mm -hmm. 
yesterday and today's shaping up to be another one like that uh but that's a possibility um i did break out the sluggo plus yesterday and don't see any further damage uh from i was thinking earwigs well that would be a good reason to use sluggo plus because besides the iron phosphate to control uh, the uh, snails and slugs there's spinosad in the product for earwig control yeah Yeah. the but the uh, i'm leaning more toward animals say it's happening at night yeah there are a lot of critters around at night raccoons although they'll you know uh, yeah but wouldn't there be chew marks yeah i can't find any teeth marks that's what puzzling well i if the plant is turgid and turgid is a word that means full of water and it makes the stems crisp it's you know uh and the animals uh, rats would be another one uh, early morning rabbits um skunks uh if they're just working their way through the the garden to see what's good to eat um they could just snap it off the flowers are edible uh so they may be taking some with them as well. Yeah, that's possible. Um, I okay. I've had a history with my tomatoes of uh, wood rat problems. Okay, and I do own a rat zapper. I might break that out. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing is, I don't think it's a larger animal because I've got my vegetable beds are all screened with bird netting on frames to keep my cats from using that as the Okay. Prison. I was going to say exclusion would, would be the way. So they it would have to be something small that could get through the netting yeah. or over it somehow. A bowl, maybe? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, that's that's helpful. I, you know, hoping that it's something the spinosad will take care of in the, in the sluggo, but uh, we will see. Is it just the male flowers so far that... It's getting. You no, know, I can't tell the difference. Oh, the, the male flower has a has a skinny stem, straight skinny stem, and the okay. female flower has sort of a fatted base. Oh, well, it may just be the male flowers. They're, you know, about the size of a matchstick or less. The stem, and uh, yeah, they're about two to three inches long. Yes, yeah. those are the males. So yeah. you you may not have any females yet. Mine are just okay. producing females. So again, yeah. th- this is waiting. They're wait, just wait, waiting for the female flower to produce, right? Uh, which, which you do need to get, and then you do really? need a male to pollinate, right? So, you, you know, it still could be a big problem yeah. going forward. Yeah. Well, I would I have, say give it a few more weeks. Okay, I have three plants. I didn't want to plant a boatload of them because then we all know what happens. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it, it's 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 the midnight rambler out with bags of zucchini. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate it. All right, Richard. Good luck. Have a good day. All right. Thanks, and congratulations with the stupid J answer. Good answer. Great. All right. Bye-bye. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll get to answers two, three, four, and 5 in today's Garden Grappler. The question today is name an heirloom tomato variety that you've grown and tell us why you like it. The number's to call in, 916-576-1578 or toll-free 866 866- Three three one eight two five five. It's the Garden Grappler. It's going on Get Growing on Talk Six Fifty KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, a couple of open lines for the Garden Grappler. 916-576-1578 
or 866-331-8255. The question is, name an heirloom tomato variety that you've grown and tell us why you like it or tell us why you didn't like it. Yeah. I can think of some for both. Yes. Yes. All right. Trying to keep my mouth shut. Me too. Call in number two. It's Rita in Fair Oaks. Hi, Rita. Hi there. Hi there. Rita, go ahead. Give us uh, your story of your uh, heirloom tomato. Oh, gosh. I have to brag because I talked to you before about this, and you were in awe. <laughs> it was a celebrity, and I got tomatoes off of there. The largest was 17 inches. Yeah, Holy too smokes. bad. Too bad. It's not an heirloom. Right. It's not. Pardon me? It's not an heirloom tomato, though. Celebrity? Celebrity is a hybrid tomato. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I still bragged about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody wants to grow anything. But, you know, I've never had success with that since. I've changed the soil. I've done everything. You're not alone in that regard. There are people, including myself, that grew the celebrity for years and years and years, and all of a sudden, they didn't produce very well, or they were undersized, or there wasn't very many of them, and it just kept happening year after year, and a lot of people said, well, forget that. There's too many other good ones out there that can be planted. Yeah, well, a friend just gave me regular tomatoes because he got two uh, free at a nursery, so I don't have a real good crop of tomatoes, but enough to eat. Yeah. Somehow, Rita, I bet if you could name another tomato variety, it just might be an heirloom. Oh, gosh, I can't offhand. Okay. All right, wow. but thank you anyway. All right, Rita, thanks for calling. Always glad to hear success stories. All right, bye. <laughs> All right, bye-bye. All right, well, then caller number two is Lynn in Folsom. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Farmer Friend. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. So what uh, heirloom tomato do you want to say yay or nay to? I like the beef steak. Okay. Well, that's kind of a... Okay. There are... there. That's kind of a category <laughs> is it, what I'm thinking. Uh, but, well, let's, let's find something It there. is. I see, do see it on a list on Wikipedia as an heirloom. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it, it's just called beef steak? Just called beef steak. All right. Okay. You found it. Good for Yay, you. Thank you. All right, there you go. And I like it because it's big and meaty. Right. And it has really good flavor, and it's so predictable. Really? <laughs> I have. I, for me, it's not. For yeah. me, it's. I might get a fruit. I might not. A lot okay. of the bigger heirloom tomato varieties, they either have very little production, or when you see them and they're red, and you say, "Hey, I'm going to come back tomorrow and pick that." And then you go back tomorrow, and the whole bottom is mush. Mm. They don't last oh. very long on the vine. But that's that's well. that's uh, one of the those situations that's really variety by variety. But yeah. but there are a lot of good uh, beefsteak varieties out there. And uh, if there is one, and Debbie says there is, and she's the judge. Okay. Well, yeah. All right. Can I think I, I was easy question? there. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. I'm I'm growing uh, tomatoes here in my Folsom raised bed garden. And I cannot keep the rats from eating them. I'm ready to pull them out by the roots because the rats are just eating green tomatoes. They're, it's awful. What do you suggest they do? Exclusion. Yeah. Anytime you have an animal, that a vertebrate, anything with a backbone that's uh, disturbing the plant, you exclude it. So you build a fence around it. The openings, you'll have to use, uh, uh, it'll have to be very complete with no openings or very tiny openings. Yeah, smaller than a half inch. Yeah, yeah because be rats be, can squeeze yeah. through. Some quarter Would quarter-inch bird netting that's secured to the ground work against rats, or would they chew through the nylon? Well, I they, think they're chewing through it. I would, I yeah, I would use yeah. metal. Yeah, so, yeah. So and yeah. over-the-top 
And the other is I have a cat. <laughs> yes. Well, that there's always cat control. Yeah. Yeah. I have cats, but they can't go out because I'm afraid they're going to get hit by a car and live on a busy street. Well, that's a, a, a de- definite real fear. Yep. But yeah. I'm just, I have, I uh, actually have rat poison out and they do take it. But then they go by and they check out my tomatoes on their way out. <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry, the, I should the, the also. <laughs> The problem with rat poison is, okay, the rats eat it, the rats die, the rat doesn't pick where it dies, and as a result, maybe a nearby dog or cat finds that rat and starts chewing on it, and that dog or cat dies as a secondary infection from that uh, anticoagulant. Right. Yeah, understandable. So that's that's the problem. That's why, you know, going to the expense of building a metal cage, if you will, to put over a tomato plant, almost like a, a metal cone you could design out of hardware cloth. Mm-hmm. And you'd okay. keep those year after year and uh, protect your tomatoes that way. Do so, you have problems in your garden, Fred, with the tomatoes in Folsom? Um, not yet. Well, <laughs> Knock on wood. Okay. Uh, but, you know, it, like I say, it's uh, they're there. I know they're there. In fact, I was I was talking to Debbie earlier about one of the interesting uh, pepper plants I have called the Blue Jay pepper, where my wife brought in one of the peppers and it was half eaten. And when something like that is half eaten, my first suspect is rodents. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Especially from the bottom. Somebody's short. Yeah. Had to reach up and. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Well, I won't pull them out just yet, but. Yeah. You, yeah. Good luck. But think of think in the future about keeping some big metal cones around. And if you make several, make them just slightly, one slightly bigger or smaller than the other. So in the off season, you can um, nest them and they will take up much less storage space. Oh, got a good idea. Yeah, I learned from experience. (laughs) Got all these tubes hanging around through the winter. It's a pain. Yeah, really. I wish I had done that with my tomato cages. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Thank you, Debbie and Fred. All right. Good luck and congratulations. I'll be sending you uh, from the the UC Davis Post Harvest Technology Department. They're great. It's the, the one page I keep posted in the kitchen. How to store fresh fruits and vegetables for better taste. So, Yay, when I have them, I will. Okay, there you go. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, Lynn. All right. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Caller number three up in Palermo. It's Toby. Hi, Toby. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Fred. How are Hi. you? We're doing fine. Go ahead. Yeah. Give us an heirloom tomato variety, if you would. I really like the Black Prince of Russia. Uh, it's an ugly, ugly, ugly tomato, but, oh, it's the best-tasting tomato, and it's it's a real workhorse. It continues producing... And producing until frost. Wow! Wow! And it's uh, it's real ugly, and your friends don't want to eat it because it's purplish, brownish, mottled looking, and uh, they think you're trying to feed them a rotten tomato. <laughs> but it has that wonderful smoky sort of complex flavor that a lot of the darker tomatoes have. It's just wonderful. Does it last on the vine a good length of time? Uh, I don't know. I just keep, I, I've never had, I, I pick them as soon as I see them. So. Okay. Right. Um, but it does produce a long time. All right. Um, and I love the story behind it, how it was found in a farm, abandoned farm in Russia. And it's it's got a great story. Can I say a rat thing? Yeah. Okay. I had the rats from hell. And, um, you know, my dogs were killing them as fast as, as they could, but just everywhere. Um, they have a new rat trap out 
that is not as dangerous as, you know, those big old, um, you know, snap traps that you can break a finger on. Yeah, right. the wooden yeah. ones. Yeah. Yes. They have a plastic one out now that the rat um, puts its head in to get the peanut butter, mm-hmm. and it snaps on the, on the neck of the rat. Mm. And it's very easy to set. Those, those mm-hmm. big wooden ones are scary to set. Mm-hmm. What's, it, what's it called? Do you remember? Uh, it's called You Go Into Tractor Supply and Ask For It. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> it's blue. It's blue. It. How is that? Um, it also is safer to have around your... I, I, I can't use those big wooden ones because it hurt my dog, you yeah. know? Oh, wow, yeah. Hey, Toby, before you, before you go, since uh, nobody else is calling, if you can name two more heirloom tomato varieties and say something okay. nice about each one, I'll give you the grand prize. Nice or bad. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Uh, but has anyone said Brandywine yet? You just did. Fine. Okay. Now Brandywine is most delicious and it's wonderful and it's great and you love the both of the tomatoes <laughs> that you get off the <laughs> yes, giant. Both, that the both truth. Of yeah. Your yes, indeed. Yes. And then uh, let's see a couple more. Well, there's the I love the name Pot- Potato Leaf Hillbilly. Mm. Okay. All right. It is a, a big honking tomato. It has it because it's big. It takes a long time to um, to ripen, but it's very good. It's kind of one of those um, stripy ones. Mm-hmm. And then let's not forget Mister Stripey, which is right. the like the uh, the quintessential goldish, pinkish, orangish, stripy. Uh, tomato and those are always so sweet. Those are such good tomatoes. You can stop now. Then- you can stop. <laughs> stop. She knows her tomatoes. Yes. And if I ever form a country band, I am going to call it the Potato Leaf Hillbillies. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. The, so Toby, congratulations. I'll be sending you a wonderful new book called The Homeowner's Guide, The Home Gardener's Guide to Perennials and Bulbs. So I'll be <gasps> sending you that a book. book. A book. Oh, you, you remember? You know, I'm, I'm insane about books. Okay, Thank good. You. I'm glad somebody likes books still. <laughs> All right. Good. All right. Thank you, Toby. You guys have a good day. Bye. You too. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. And Debbie Flower, thank you for spending part of your Sunday here with oh, us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Come back again sometime. I will do that. All right. We always learn so much. We learned about C3 and C4 <laughs> and CAM today. Yeah, now you have to go research something. Yes, and go photosynthesize something. Yeah. All right. When we come back, we are going to find out about the benefits of meadows about maybe you want to rip out that lawn what are you going to put in how about some meadows well we're going to talk to Mm. the guy that uh, knows everything there is to know about meadows john greenley when we come back to get growing on talk 650 kste Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. If you're interested in meadows or grasses, we have a guest for you now. It's John Greeley. He's created grass ecologies and gardens of all sizes since way back when, in 1984. He's been on TV. He was named Horticulturist of the Year by the Southern California Association of Horticulturists. He's also the author of many great books, including the Encyclopedia of Ornamental Grasses. And his latest book is called The American Meadow Garden. And we just happened to run into John Greeley here at the NorCal Show in San Mateo, which is a horticultural trade show. And what do you have in the booth here, John? This is uh, interesting, and this is the future of the California front yard right here. Well, I I truly believe so. Um, We've got a lot of great new plants here. Let me show you a few of them. This is maybe our most exciting new plant that we think is going to transform 
uh, California Gardens. This is Lamus triticoides lagunita. It's a also known as Lagunita wild rye. Right. It's a it's a creeping wild rye is the the common name. This particular clone is short and green, so it's incredibly drought tolerant. It's mobile. These are all images here, and you see it being used here with wildflowers, overseeded with wildflowers, with uh, perennials. It's the base grass. We think it's the holy grail. Right? That means it can take traffic. Can take traffic. Right. Can be mowed like a lawn. Can be left unmowed. You add bulbs, perennials, flowers to it, and uh, it's creeping. So it's planted. It doesn't grow from seed. It doesn't create viable seed, which is good because it pretty much stays where you put it. But it basically creeps and fills in. It's colony forming. But it's our native grass. And in nature, it's one of the last native grasses to go summer dormant if you don't give it summer water. Now, you've got to give it summer water the first season to get it established. But once it's established, it actually can, can grow without summer water. Now, it will go summer dormant, so it'll turn brown and crispy. But as soon as the fall rains come, it'll green back up again. The flip side of that is very little summer water keeps it evergreen. So we're really excited about it. So Does it need good drainage? No. It'll grow in heavy clay. It'll grow in dune sand. It'll grow in first exposure seacoast with salt spray. Uh, I've planted it up to about 4,000 feet elevation, which is what it does in nature. In nature, it goes from Baja to Shasta from the coast to about three, 4,000 feet elevation. And so it has a huge range. But this particular clone is, we, I think it's like, you know, the Goldilocks and the Three Bears, it's the just right. Right height, right color. Uh, it's the base layer that you For know. those watching us on the radio, John had his uh, hands about eight inches apart. So it gets about, yeah. what, eight, eight or so yeah, inches? Somewhere in here, depending on how much water and fertilizer, there it is as orchard understory. Uh, we're very excited. We've got a, several acres of it planted at the world headquarters of, uh, of uh, Apple, Inc., uh, at their Infinite Loop campus. And there's much more planned for the, for the uh, spaceship planting. Uh, the ring is the, the, that's, uh, you know, the new headquarters that's going in. So it's the base layer. So in a 1,000 square feet of this, you maybe have 15 or 16 flowering accent grasses and that's what makes it a meadow so you want a meadow you want people to look at it and go wow look at that amazing meadow you don't want people to look at it and go when are they going to mow that lawn it has to say i'm a meadow so again this is the lamus triticoides lagunita lamus is spelled l-e-y-m-u-s lamus triticoides lagunita when you plant it via plugs i would imagine Mm -hmm. how far apart do you space them depends on how much money you got um (laughs) Uh, no, seriously. I mean, if you plant the plugs four inches on center, it almost looks like sod the day you walk away. But I've planted it 18 inches on center, and it's crept and filled in. And so a lot of times, if you got to make it look good right away, you can plant the plugs 18, 24 inches on center, and then overseed with uh, wildflowers. Eventually, the Lagunita will come to dominate, right? What is the mix that really looks best? That is really a standout well, with the lamus. It depends on where you are and what your soil type is, but 
I like to put Mullenberges with them as flowering accents, even some of the Cesalarias. Let me show you a couple more uh, really interesting things. This would be one for all of your foothill clientele. So you may be familiar with our native blue grama grass? Sure, yeah. Well, when I say our native, this is the very, if you order blue grama grass seed from anybody in the United States, you're not going to get California blue grama grass. This was collected in California on the edge of the Mojave Desert. And uh, again, we think it's going to be a meadow. It's going to be a lawn. It's 12 inches to the top of the flower. Uh, it is warm season, so it, so it does go dormant. But you can see it's already greening up, you know, already. So um, we're very excited about these meadow grasses. Here's a picture of it at our grower associates down in in uh, Southern California. Now that's a bit taller. That looks to be what, two no, feet or so? No, no, no. no. That's no? this to the top of the flower. That's 12 inches. Okay, so Guaranteed. about 12 inches. So that would be a good mix then with the Lagunitas wild rye. Well, no, it would disappear in in Lagunita. You'd need something taller, but instead of Lagunita, ah, okay. Or let's say you've got a succulent garden. This would be an excellent companion planting for succulents. They have actually done testing in Sacramento County using blue grama grass as turf. a turf substitute, sure. and it did score very highly. Well, right now you can't buy seed of this particular clone, but you can plant it from plugs. These are our, our plugs, come in 50 tray. So if you do want us to, to get plants to you, you do have to call our office. You can't buy plants online, but we can ship plants anywhere in the, in the country. Where are some good public gardens where people can see your work? I'd invite you all to come to Cornerstone uh, Gardens in Sonoma, which is now the uh, headquarters of Sunset Magazine, that they closed their headquarters in Menlo Park, and the test garden has moved to Cornerstone Gardens in Sonoma. But all kinds of fun stuff. Here's, the, here's another thing now, too. This is our native uh, Lipia, our native Philodotiflora. So this isn't new and improved from Japan. <laughs> this was actually... This isn't Karapia, eh? No. <laughs> okay. um, this is our native one, and this was collected near Tesla Canyon, uh, which is out by Livermore. Mm-hmm. A lot, most people have never heard of, of uh, Tesla Canyon. It was fascinating. Um, you can uh, check it out. Tesla was one of the very first communes in California hmm. back in the 40s and 50s, I believe. It's no longer in existence, but this was uh, collected from out, out Livermore Way. Now, Lipia has sort of a renegade reputation for being rather unruly. Well, yeah, and rightfully so. Um, and I would tell you, though, interestingly, this, this just came out of a greenhouse, so the foliage is actually greener than it would normally be, and it's a little more robust. This is much tighter, much more compact than, than Carapia or anything of that nature. You know, and, and people, uh, I know there was a big article about it in, in Sunset Magazine, speaking of Sunset, about uh, Carapia. But um, there is, the downside to it, though, as a mowed lawn, is that it's extremely pollinator-friendly, shall we say. The bees love it. Bees love it. So, as a lawn, you don't want to step on it barefoot. Let's just put it that way. Well, you have a lot of people here at your booth here at the NorCal Show that want to talk to you. I have one more plug for John Greeley. Greeley and Associates is his business, also his website. And yeah, the book... the website, there's lots of great case studies where we've shown people how you go from the traditional American lawn to 
the next, you know, what we need to be doing. We the need future. to. Well, we need to. We can't just be decorating the planet anymore. We have to be fixing it. We have to be cleaning it up. So, you know, we need we need beauty that's sustainable, beauty that supports our native birds, bees, and insects. We got to be the guys wearing the white hats. Let's just put it that way, right? Exactly. Okay. The American Meadow Garden is the name of John Greeley's latest book. His business, Greenley and Associates, GreenleyandAssociates.com is the website. You'll really enjoy it. Check out the website. There's lots of great images, and um, it's um, you can see our projects. A lot of them from start to finish. You can see the lawn, the lawn being killed, the lawn removed, the plugs going in, the uh, flowers being overseeded, and then. The, uh, the results. So this is a garden we did in Kensington, and that's Lagunita as the base grass. And so the fun thing, I mean, for me, making meadows, it's just an excuse for planting bulbs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. John Greeley, a pleasure seeing you again, you and thanks for the chat. You got it. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, let's take a look at the weather for the upcoming week uh, in our area. It will be warm. Some would say hot, but it is July in Sacramento. So, you know, we will deal with it. 81 degrees in Sacramento currently. Going to get up to about 97 downtown today. Mid to upper 90s throughout most of the Central Valley, to say the least, and the surrounding areas. Hot on Monday at 96, 97 on Tuesday, 96 on Wednesday, Thursday, 94. I think that might be your cool down for the week. No, Friday will be 93, as well as Saturday, 93. So the weather, in a nutshell, fair through October, sunny and warm. That's okay. Overnight lows, not that low, around uh, between 60 and 62 degrees for the coming week. And no rain to talk about, so I won't. All right. Uh, Upcoming garden events? Yes, there are. Let's talk about those. For instance, Lawn Care Basics. Don Smith, he's the City of Folsom's Water Conservation Coordinator. He will be leading a talk on Lawn Care Basics. Actually, lawns are the thirstiest and most challenging element to manage in our landscapes. If you think about it, people who shy away from plants only want a lawn because they think, oh, that's easy. Actually, it's the most time-consuming part of having a yard. Time is a precious commodity these days. If you want more time to do other things, lose the lawn. Now, I don't know if Don's going to talk about that or not, but he's going to tell you how to deal with it. Lawns are the thirstiest and most challenging element. Uh, This workshop will present strategies and techniques that will help you deal with watering, summer heat, sloped yards, hard clay soils. And he's going to discuss maintenance and how it relates to the condition of your lawn. There's no cost to attend. Space is limited. And you can uh, find out more information by calling 916-461-6174 or uh, attend his talk Wednesday evening, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Folsom Community Center, 52 Natoma Street in Folsom. And again, the talk led by the affable Don Smith, the Water Conservation Coordinator, for the city of Folsom. Also on Wednesday, if you're over in El Dorado County, they're having a little three-hour get-together to talk about berries. 
And it's a combination class with the Master Gardeners and the Master Food Preservers of El Dorado County. They're, they're going to be talking about berries. Uh, that would be blackberries, blueberries, maybe raspberries and strawberries. So you're going to learn how to grow them. Then you're going to learn how to preserve them. It's all about berries. Wednesday, July 11th, 9 to noon at the Cameron Park Community Center, 2502 Country Club Drive in Cameron Park. And then the El Dorado County Master Food Preservers have a class on cheese making on Thursday in the evening, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Bethel Delfino Ag Building at 311 Fair Lane in Placerville. That's a free class, as is that berry class the previous day on Wednesday. And then on Saturday, they're having a cheese workshop. You'll learn how to make ricotta and mozzarella cheese to use for your lasagna dinners. There is a $20 fee for that class. Pre-registration is required. It's 9 to noon on Saturday at the Bethel Delfino Ag Building at 311 Fair Lane in Placerville. Just uh, Google the uh, Master Food Preservers of El Dorado County. You can get more information about that uh, cheese workshop next Saturday, July 14th. Also going on uh, over in El Dorado County next Saturday, a sustainable organic gardening all-day workshop from 9 until 3. The Master Gardeners of El Dorado are collaborating with the Master Food Preservers and the Shingle Springs Band of Miwok Indians to offer a menu of seven topics related to sustainable home gardening, including traditional native plant uses, soil health, composting, beneficial plants and insects, organic plant care through integrated pest management techniques, seed saving, and food preservation. And uh, this class will be held at the Shingle Springs Rancheria at 5281 Han Pai Road in Placerville. July 14th, that's next Saturday, 9 to 3. There is a $25 fee. And uh, do a search online of Sustainable Organic Gardening, El Dorado County, and that Master Gardener class should pop right up. Napa County Master Gardeners have a class on growing olives. That'll be Saturday, 9.30 to 11.30, and it'll be at a private vineyard, Big Dog Ranch, at 1020 Congress Valley Road in Napa. More information by calling 707-253-4221. I believe there is a $5 fee for that, 707-253-4221. Uh, The Sacramento Iris Society is holding a two-day sale of recently dug rhizomes next Saturday and Sunday, July 14th and 15th, at the Sacramento Garden and Art Center, also known as the Shepherd Garden and Art Center, at 3330 McKinley Boulevard from 9 until 3. Hundreds of varieties of iris rhizomes will be available. I thought they were corms. Maybe they are rhizomes. Hours are from 9 until 3. Hundreds of varieties will be available. Each specimen will be labeled with the cultivar name, and a description of the flower appearance. A large selection of rebloomers as well, which have an extended bloom season. They'll have a demonstration table set up to show how rhizomes should be planted. A labeling station will allow you to prepare a free permanent garden label for each of your rhizome purchases before you leave. And uh, they would like to remind you that irises are both deer and drought resistant, which makes them ideal additions to your garden. And that uh, sale of rhizomes... Next Saturday and Sunday, 14th and 15th of July, 9 to 3, at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center, 3330 McKinley Boulevard. That leads directly to an uh, email question that uh, came in to the show today from uh, Linda, who writes in, Will my iris corms stay alive till next season if I leave them in the ground but stop watering them altogether? Well, be they corns or rhizomes, we haven't settled that yet. 
But, uh, Linda, from personal experience, I can tell you, you can pretty much stop watering them, um, and they will survive. They may not thrive, but they will survive. And I have found, though, that even in my, uh, I won't say disdain of viruses, but my laissez-faire attitude towards the irises I had in my horseshoe pit in Harold, uh, I would maybe throw a hose on them once a month, and that was about it. And they stayed alive. Couldn't kill them. So they are very drought tolerant. And as uh, the Sacramento Iris Society reminds you, they are also uh, deer resistant, too. So that's a good thing. And then uh, one more uh, plug for the uh, Harvest Day coming up August 4th, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center at 11549 Fair Oaks Boulevard in Fair Oaks, south of Madison in Fair Oaks Park next to the library. It's a free event. It is Sacramento's premier garden event. There's no question about it. It is the best garden event for Sacramento that there is. Everybody's there. And it's free. Free parking, too. They have speakers. They have informational educational tables. They have vendors. There's somebody who can answer whatever tough garden question you have. It's why I like going there, because... When somebody comes up to me and asks me a question that I have no idea what the answer is, I can look around and see a person who would know the answer, and I can point them out to you and say, go talk to that guy in the floppy hat. He would know. Or something along those lines. Speakers, uh, I'm looking forward to Quentin Young's uh, talk out there on Harvest Day. He's going to talk about unusual vegetables for our area, unusual edibles for our area. So that could include fruits and herbs as well as uh, vegetables. And Quentin Young is the manager of uh, Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery. He's also a master gardener, and he's he's been around the world. He's seen and tasted everything. He must have a cast iron stomach. But he'll be talking about unusual vegetables for our area. And for whatever reason, they have me again talking. I'll be out there at 8.30 uh, on that Saturday, August the 4th in the morning, talking about uh, ways to save time in the garden. Elevate. Automate, eradicate, delegate. Those are just some of the ways to save time in the garden. I'll tell you how. And uh, what else is going on there? Uh, cool tools for the garden. And um, like I say, it's uh, it's a big, friendly event. And you're going to get to see the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center in all its glory. And ask your questions of all the master gardeners that are there. Uh, to find out more information about their raised beds, about their orchard that's maintained at a height of six to seven feet, all the fruit trees, the composting section, the vineyard section, the herbs, the water-efficient landscape, and so much more that I've forgotten about. And somebody will email to ask, why didn't you mention so-and-so? Because I forgot, that's all. Uh, But there's plenty to see and do, including the, the great Fair Oaks Community Garden, which is adjacent uh, to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, and um, it's not usually open to the public, but on Harvest Day, it is. And you can see, speaking of unusual things to grow, you can find those at the Fair Oaks Community Garden. And it's a, just a, a wonderful Saturday. It's the, always the first Saturday of August, and uh, this one's no difference. I understand the new 2019 Master Gardener calendar will be available that day as well. And um, I believe there's going to be grape tasting going on. If you like uh, table grapes... They're going to have several varieties for taste testing. Hopefully they'll be ready by August 4th. I can't see why not, because 
the weather seems to be very conducive to an early crop of just about everything this year. So you got all that going for you. So that's uh, there's plenty happening there at Harvest Day on Saturday, August 4th. Hope you can uh, drop by for that. All right, what else is going on? Um, farm show, KSDE Farm Hour, coming up after this show in just a few minutes. And uh, we have a story about qualitative tariffs that China has already imposed and have been going on for a couple of months. What are qualitative uh, tariffs? Basically, it's food from California farmers that's sitting at the ports of China waiting to be inspected. And the wait is so long, some of the food is rotting at the ports. Hmm. So we'll be talking about that with the uh, KSDE Farm Hour and a lot more. Uh, including uh, the farm-to-mug movement. Yes, growing beer in Sacramento. We're going to talk about that as well. That's coming up on the KSDE Farm Hour. That's coming up next. I believe Steve Zion, Sacramento's organic advocate, will join us next week on this very radio show. Hope to see you next uh, Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon. Now in year 26.5, it's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSDE. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.